0: Hello, and welcome to the Growing Older Podcast. We will be discussing issues related to aging, and hopefully uncover some ways to make growing older go well. I am Preston Tyree, and I will be joined by my wife and partner, Annie Colt, as co-host, and you can expect to hear us co-hosting frequently. We are all growing older, so we will be talking with people of all ages about the things they think about, worry about and enjoy about the process of growing older. Let's get started on our next conversation. considering doing a podcast. I had no experience and in fact was a raw novice. I decided that I needed some help and started searching for a smartphone and or tablet app that could help. I found the Anchor site. That's A-N-C-H-O-R. I downloaded the app to my tablet and started using it. I found Anchor includes most of the things I need, including recording my voice, music clips, and sounds. The best part of Anchor for me is it lets me assemble the various pieces of my podcast in a graphic way and then rearrange them. I can also use Anchor to post my finished product to many different sites so people can listen to my podcast wherever they get their feed. If you're thinking about podcasting, you should at least check out Anchor at anchor.fm. Roger, I asked you a question the other day while we were talking about this uh, podcast and said, what is it that surprised you about growing old? Or growing older? How's that? Growing older, there. yeah. And uh, I hope you had a chance to think about that and uh, yeah. come up with some answers. And so just ramble a while. Okay. Um, one of the things that uh, surprised me about growing older was um, had to do with... Uh, my ankles and my legs and how quickly my ability to even now to walk comfortably has deteriorated. And um, it's it's in part it's a neurological condition that I've had <laughs> inherited from my mother. Um, but it's also arthritis and So I've had uh, surgery on one ankle which helped with the arthritis, but not with the neurological condition. And I've been to see uh, doctors who specialize in this particular neurological problem, fun name of Charcot-Marie-Tooth syndrome, (laughs) named for the three gentlemen who detected and named it after themselves Uh, and I've been to see orthopedists, the CMT specialist says basically, yeah, you got it. Um, We don't know what type it is because uh, we'd have to do genetic testing and genetic testing would be $14,000. But he also said, but you really don't need to get genetically tested because you're not going to have any more kids. (laughs) I don't know why he thought that. (laughs) And uh, the orthopedists, of course, their job is to cut, so that's what they want to do. And I'm not interested in getting cut anymore. So that's been kind of a tedious thing. I can still ride my trike just fine. But I'm not able to walk around this lovely neighborhood like I could when I first moved here. So that's one of the unfortunate surprises. A much happier surprise is that Carol and I have stayed otherwise pretty darn healthy uh, as we've grown older here in in Austin. And that's been a a good thing. So it gives us the opportunity to see our granddaughter um, two or three times a week, uh, hang out with her. Uh, She was over here yesterday and beat the heck out of me at Uno. And uh, she and I have now been playing with a a, uh, kit called Circuits that a a kindly neighbor had posted on Facebook. And uh, I asked her if I could get it, and I guess I was the first one and we've been having great fun with that, just making little electric circuits that ring they, bells they and do sirens. So. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yesterday we decided we'd get the, the a companion kit that actually lets you play games. Okay. So maybe she's on her way to being an electrical engineer. Well, that'd be good, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I never did well in EE. Mm. So, Than my least favorite classes. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm 77. Um, uh, World War II baby. Grew up. Yeah, for, I would say for the most part until junior high school in the D.C. area, Maryland suburbs. Moved to Florida uh, in seventh grade. Uh, graduated from Fort Lauderdale High School. Went to college at MIT in Boston for my undergraduate degree in aeronautics and astronautics. Took a job with McDonnell Aircraft after I graduated and uh, moved out to St. Louis. And uh, I had been there for working there for uh, maybe a month or so. And there was an officers' club at the airport right across from the plant. They had happy hours, and I'd gone to a happy hour there on a Friday night, and it was not very happy. So I headed home, and one of my roommates had a date, a blind date, with an attractive young lady, and uh, she and I started chatting. My my roommate had just gotten a dear John uh, letter from. His, uh, his girlfriend, and so he had managed to drink himself into a stupor. So anyway, that, that attractive young lady invited me to a party, invited all of us to a party at her house the next night, and uh, I was the, one of the three roommates who went, and uh, things progressed fairly well, so in about a year and a half, we got married. 69, I did an interview with RCA Corporation consumer electronics division a slight change yeah, a little change yeah and they were based in indianapolis and um much to carol's surprise i took the job and so and uh much to her family's surprise too they had thought we would always be there in st louis and, and they were very close so we moved to indianapolis and um I thought my job was interesting. Folks that you'd meet at parties would ask you, "Well, where'd you go to school?" And we discovered very quickly that that meant where you went to high school. High school in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis, because where you went to high school in Indianapolis defined who you were. I'd gotten interested in political science in my last year at undergrad, and. had actually started taking some courses at night in St. Louis before we moved. So when I got to Indianapolis, I, uh, I tried to figure out where I could do it. And uh, so the choices were Purdue, Indiana. Purdue had a wonderful program in urban politics and planning, which was what I was particularly interested in, but their classes all met during the day. And having just started a new job, it didn't seem like a thing I could do. So uh, third choice was Indiana, and um, they had courses that met at night and on weekends. So I started down there, and one of the first courses I took was um, a research course with a fairly newly minted assistant professor. And uh, she wanted to do some field work, and I suggested we could do it in Indianapolis. There were some particular questions that she was interested in, basically size of government and performance kinds of things. And so we focused on the cops in uh, Indianapolis and some small towns within the same county. And uh, that led to many years of collaboration uh, and I won't bore you with all the details, but um, the highlight of it was when she won the Nobel Prize in Economics. Oh. And she invited okay. me to Stockholm to be with her. Wow. Which was great, that was great fun. So anyway, um, I got my PhD from the political science department and um, as with many college departments, they don't hire their own. But by good fortune, the, the school, the, The the university had started a school of public and environmental affairs and uh, I had a couple of friends over there and they said, well, you know go over and talk to the dean he'd he'd probably be interested and it, it was interesting because his assistant had tried to hire me away from my friend earlier and so he offered me a visiting job and the next year he created a position and hired me and I stayed there for 30 years. <sighs> retired in 2006 with an absolutely wonderful retirement package that Indiana University offers people. Basically, it's five more years of your terminal-based salary. So I accepted that gladly in 2000, Seven, a good friend of mine who I'd done lots of research with had just gotten a contract with the government of Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> and he said would you like to do some consulting? And so and I'd been sitting around trying to, as one of my friends said, you don't play golf, what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> and my granddaughter hadn't been born yet, so so I said, sure, and so for about four years, we tried to help them uh, reform their police service with little success, mm. but it certainly kept me, kept me busy. Okay. And uh, just about that time, my granddaughter was born, and we said, heck, we've been in Bloomington for 40 years. We a house that we absolutely love, lots of friends, we're moving to Austin. We know where your priorities are. Yeah. So we moved down here, uh, lived in mosaic apartments for a couple of years while we were looking around for houses. We'd, we met um, Janelle and Don, and Janelle uh, took an interest in us and said, I'm going to find you a house. And, uh, and she did. Uh, we live right across the alley from her, okay. and she found this house for us. The um, woman who uh, owned the house was looking to move into a slightly larger one, and so she was moving out, and uh, Janelle I, gave me her uh, email, I guess, and I emailed her and said, I'd like to buy your house. How much would you like for it? And she told me the price, and I said, I'll take it. Wow. So we moved in here in 2013. We were looking for a one-story. Uh, obviously, we're at an age where doing a lot of stairs is not something we're eager to do. Uh, so this was the one-story. It, it was quite a bit smaller than places we've been used to. Our house in Bloomington was about 3,000 square feet, A very old. 1927 house, Mm -hmm. a great house, but getting hard to get up and down the stairs. Um, This one is a little over 1400. Okay. And that was a step down from our apartment at Mosaic, which was 1800. So as you can imagine, there was lots of, how are we going to get rid of all this stuff? We didn't have Marie Kondo to help us at the time, so we had to do our own. Does it give us joy and stuff? We managed to get rid of that. And, uh, since we've moved in here, um, well, we did some remodeling. We put the back porch on and put the, uh, French doors on so that it was much brighter in here and some, uh, lights, light tubes. What do we do now that we're here? Um. I ride my trike. I go to the Y as often as possible. Uh, we take care of our granddaughter uh, generally at least twice a week. Okay. Yeah, for quite for uh, several e- recent years, we've been taking care of her much more than that because uh, my daughter-in-law has a full-time job and my son was in graduate school down at San Marcos. Wow. So um and she taught me how to play Uno. And, and how uh, old is your granddaughter now, Roger? Oh she's uh nine. Okay. And uh, when she first taught me how to play Uno, she was probably six. Hmm. So grandpa quickly learned that he needed to tank a few hands. <laughs> But now, um, I'm going to have to ask her to start typing a few <laughs> hands. So we've had great fun with her. And um, Carol has found... Uh, she had a bunch of good friends that we that she made when we lived in Mosaic, and they've stayed together. That's where she's gone today. And uh, she started playing Mahjong with a group of ladies around here. You know, the, the vision is, what when you were... You're recently married, you've got this, well, yeah, you've got this degree. Uh, You're going to work for uh, something totally different than you've ever worked in before, getting into the academic world. What was something that you feared about getting older, feared, and how did that pan out? Did it come to, did you do anything about it? And this could be financial, this could be physical, this could be, you know, all of those things. Um, I'll confess to being um, uh, not terribly forward looking. Uh, we both had jobs, uh, even when uh, Carol was pregnant with our son, and after he was born, she uh, was doing some work um, uh, typing up uh, depositions for a company and so on. So we both always have worked. And uh, we generally managed to spend about what we made every year. Mm-hmm. Um, there was of course, there was some accumulation because we had purchased a house yeah. just just the time when my son was born, and so uh, that was kind of forced savings but um, the reason that we are um, able to live reasonably comfortably now is that Indiana University uh, had a retirement plan with a company called TIA CREF mm-hmm. Teachers Insurance Annuity Association and College Retirement something Funds and Indiana made a contribution every month to my account there and the saving grace was you couldn't touch it till you retired So, you know, 30 years in a retirement program turned out to be a decent amount of money. It does. Yeah. So uh, the answer to your question in terms of planning, we really didn't do any for getting older. It just sort of happened. You know, all of a sudden you're like, hmm, damn, I'm old. So I'm going to suggest, and let's just throw this out for fun. I'm going to suggest that that is a very privileged lifestyle. Extremely able, perfect. To be able to say, I don't need to worry. Yes. And uh, and as you and I were talking the other day, almost entirely because of some fortuitous circumstances. Um, when I graduated from my undergraduate degree, I had an offer from Boeing, I had an offer from McDonald Aircraft, and I had an offer from Grumman Aerospace. McDonald's job seemed to be the interest of I mean, I never thought I'd go to St. Louis, but I went to St. Louis. I came home from the (laughs) officer's club, met my wife of 57 years now, I think. And by chance, I I met uh, my professor down at IU, who turned out to be a great friend, and um, that worked out well. But purely by chance. I used to tell my kids when I was teaching, I shouldn't call them kids, my students when I was teaching, I'd ask them, um, how much of what you've achieved so far in your life do you attribute to your own efforts and how much to luck or chance? And, uh, and a finding which holds up pretty well in, in surveys of that question all across the country is Americans say 70% them, 30% chance. And I would tell them, well, you know, I'm an oddball because I think for me, it might be it might be 30% me, but lots and lots of chance. I mean, I was very fortunate. I was, I was born into a family that was not at all wealthy, but my dad and and mom uh, uh, were able to put together uh, a reasonably good lifestyle. And I turned out to be very good at taking standardized tests, (laughs) which resulted in getting a nice offer from MIT. And that, you know, opened up other doors. And it's just, you know, when I look back on it, it's like somebody like you might ask, well, how did you plan out your life? The answer is I didn't. You didn't. talk about serendipity, the chance, uh, mm-hmm. things happening. So, Roger, have you lived up to your potential? Mm-hmm. I think I certainly did uh, during my period as an academic. I mean, I... I trained a number of good future academics, I managed to conduct well more than average numbers of research projects that I think contributed. Big failure in Trinidad and Tobago, but (laughs) nobody's been able to do that reform, so, yeah, I I think I'm kind of moldering in place. And we moved down here, but the success part of that is um, hanging with my granddaughter and getting adopted by uh, several different classes over at Blanton Elementary. Carol and I go over there to work in the library every Thursday. And uh, so, and we started doing that full-time last year. And the uh, classes that were there on Thursday afternoons were all first graders. And they were just very sweet. You know, they'd, and they'd come in, give you a hug, that sort of stuff. So the librarian, uh, this year, uh, when we were coming back, she changed the schedule so that the second graders now are coming in. Same people. Same kids. No, okay. Yeah. And a couple of extra classes now. So so it's really fun we to go over and get, you know, get our... Get our hugs from sweet little kids, second graders. They're still real sweet. They are, yeah. So that's been fun. Okay, but I'm not terribly productive. But I guess I don't need to be terribly productive anymore. So what are you doing about your health besides this uh, foot issue? Um, you know, how's your diet? Uh, do you do exercises that you can do? The, mm-hmm. tri- the trike is part of that. Trike is part of it. Uh, the why is part of that. Um, I, I, pretty much have to use the recumbent at the Y. I'm not good on the treadmill or the elliptical, um, but I can do a lot of upper body stuff and, um, uh, machines for the glutes and things like that. So, and as I said, I try to get there, I try to get there three times a week, but it's usually at best two. Um, I've got a whole series of exercises, um. Uh, that I'm not too um, religiously following. But, you know, every day I get up and think, man, i got to do my exercises today. <laughs> well, at least you, you think know. about it. Yeah, right? yeah, Some days I even do. Okay. Otherwise, I think my health's pretty good. I had a, uh, I had a prostate cancer scare uh, this year, or last year. But uh, it's caught very early, and I went to the Cyberknife facility here in Austin. So five shots with the fire with the Cyberknife, and that's it. Oh. And uh, the, the first—I mean, you don't really know for a while—but the first round of PSA testing showed it, it dropped down to one from six. So, that was good, suggested mm-hmm. something happened there. Yeah. Yeah, so I've uh, got another one coming up in mm-hmm. another month or so. We'll see how it's standing up. But When I was diagnosed, uh, the guy who did the diagnosis was um, a urologist. So as soon as he's got the urologist, he's telling me about how it'd be real easy to remove it, and then you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. So we talked through the process and so on. And said, yeah, you know, in, in six months or so, uh, you wouldn't have any problem with urination or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, that's good. Yeah, six months. Yeah. So, But he was very kind and sent me over to his, his pal who does the CyberKnife stuff, the radiation oncologist. And he described a much quicker recovery mm-hmm. period. Okay. Which turned out to be, to be true uh, in terms of any urinary symptoms, I was, a, I was good in three weeks. Uh, I had some radiation fatigue from it, mm-hmm. but I think that's all over now. I'm not napping half the day away or anything. So is there anything else that you, you think is important about growing older that we haven't talked about? We've covered a lot of ground. We've got yeah. 77 years. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think one of the most important things at any stage in your life is to surround yourself with friends. And so, you know, that, uh, we would love to be surrounding ourselves with Wisdom Crew, but you guys insist on doing this on Thursdays. Yeah, right? when you're at the... And we're crew. surrounded by yeah. cute little kids. That's, that's even better. <laughs> it is, us. yeah. As to what's the, what are the important questions? (laughs) Um, Particularly for people in their 40s, 50s and things, how do they cope? How do they cope with today's economy? How do they take care of their medical needs? Are Are they needing to run around to two or three jobs to make things work? I mean, they, they're growing up in a very different environment than you and I did. They are. And uh, I think it's a very scary environment for many, many people in that age group. You know, most of our neighbors around here are, as you use your term, privileged in that they seem to be able to afford decent housing and that sort of stuff. But we have no idea how they're struggling with medication health issues, education issues, all these kinds of employment issues. And I can't imagine, uh, I guess I can't a little bit because of my son and daughter-in-law, how it works. But for folks who uh, have somewhat less education or less opportunities, it's dog-eat-dog out there. It seems to be. Um, and I don't see the sad thing uh, to me is that I don't see uh, much progress in dealing with these issues. When you say that, are you talking about the U.S. specifically, or are we talking about the world? Oh, there's, the world has plenty of problems. I'm thinking about the U.S. I mean, a good a good indicator here uh, is the minimum wage. $7.25 in the U.S. $7.25 for many, many years now. If it had just stayed with inflation, it would be $22. Basically, you, you've you got... In, in Trinidad, they talk about crabs in a bucket. And that's kind of the economy that we've given to a large proportion of our population there, scrambling to fight with one another in an environment where there's not much to be fighting over. Mm. Okay. And uh, and I think, uh, just to introduce a tiny bit of politics, not really so much politics as maybe political economy, I think the clever folks that have have um, been willing at least to set Groups against one another, uh, demonized labor unions, and created a situation where um, people who are struggling are bring, blaming other struggling people for their problems instead of perhaps looking at where all the money went. Where all the money went. Crabs in a bucket? Is that the term? Yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. You can wrap it up wrap it up. Well, thank you, Roger. This, is, this has been fun. We'll see how it gets cut and okay. see what, what we end up with. All right. Yeah. Good luck with this project. That wraps up another Growing Older Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned some things to help you age well. This is Preston Tyree signing off.